We're, we're on the old man, that's me, the old man swan song here in, uh, in terms of this particular uh, final series that I'll be preparing. And I kind of wanted to leave with you guys some stuff. Oh, it's heart things. It's heart stuff. Um, and it's all about love. And if you've been around for a while and listened to me, uh, you may have picked up on the fact that my view of the whole redemption story is a love story. In fact, I, I view the Bible Genesis from Revelation, as I've said many times, as a romance. The Bible's a romance. This is God wooing the world, wooing the children, calling people unto himself. And at the bottom of that call is love. It's love. It is a love supreme we're talking about. John Coltrane, the best record of all time, in my view, I used to listen to it for hours and hours when I was a young man in the army in Germany. And I was just thinking, how did I do that? I must have had a record player, had the album. So they're in the barracks. <laughs> I mean, this was before cassettes, okay? So I, I had the capacity to play a record, and I played a love supreme, man. A love supreme. I didn't know what that love was. I'd never experienced that love. But there is a supreme love that orders and, and uh, animates the universe that is created by this God. This God who is love. Paul calls God the God of love. <laughs> So, it's all about love, and only love has the power to, to really awaken, animate, and fuel the human heart, and to put us in a right relationship with our Maker, and to cause us, by grace, to be connected and fruitful in that connection, and, and that's what this is about. So here's The Power of Love by C.S. Lewis, who wrote a great book called The Four Loves. This is back in the 20th century. And Lewis was perhaps the premier Christian scholar and intellectual of the 20th century. And here's what he's written about. There's a bunch of big words and stuff. But as you can see, what he's talking about here is that love and only love and falling in love, which is the name of this series, is extremely powerful in human experience and it has the capacity to turn us inside out, to change uh, our perspective on the world. I'll just read it. The event of falling in love is of such a nature that we're right to reject as tolerable, or as intolerable. <laughs> it's intolerable to think that love is transitory. In one high bound, that's like a jump, Think of Kevin Durant. Cavs and seven, right? Think of Kevin Durant. Unbelievable. In one high bound, it has overleaped the massive. That is the, the whole construct of our selfhood. And, and with that, Lewis implies our tendency to curve back our affection upon ourselves. And uncharacteristically, we find ourselves, I'm not reading, I'm just talking. It has made appetite itself altruistic, which means that our very wants and desires are no longer inward focused, but be actually become directed outward 
to another person. Tossed personal happiness aside as a triviality. This is what happens when we fall in love. And planted the interests of another in the center of our being. Only love can do this. Spontaneously and without effort we have fulfilled the law towards one person, that our beloved. By loving our neighbor as ourselves. It is an image. Falling in love is an image, a foretaste of what we must become to all if love himself, talking about God, talking about Jesus, rules in us without a rival. It is even, well used, a preparation for that. So this is the series. It's about love. Only love has the power. Only love really among the virtues lasts. All of our gifts have an expiration date. Love remains at the end of all. So, last week, falling in love with the triune God. Today, we're talking about falling in love with the Father. Next week, and Mike will be preaching about falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with the Holy Spirit. I can hardly wait to get to that one. This is a much neglected topic and very important in the Christian life. And then I want to show that love is the, is the fuel or the path to holiness, growth and grace and purity. Falling in love with God is the is the path, the fuel for service. Falling in love with God is the path to mission. And that's the series. But today, again, falling in love with the Father. So let me just take my time with this one. We have a goal in this series. And I have a goal for you today. Actually, I want to help you get somewhere. I want to help you get somewhere from where you actually are. I don't know what the state of your affections is here today. I don't know where you are in your heart, in your relationship with God. Are you feeling the love of God? Are you experiencing that love supreme? Is your inner being resonant with the presence of God in your consciousness and your personal awareness of his love and your responsiveness to that love is that where you are or is it possible that you may be finding yourself today somewhat distant and I'm talking here about experience communion with the father is the goal not just knowledge it's not as if I'm just trying to dump a bunch of information here before I get out the door that's not the goal information is not the goal Experience. <laughs> Experience. Which is undervalued in much of evangelical Christianity. Because we feel we've done discipleship when we have transferred information. And so we're very knowledge-based in, 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 in that way. It's a part of the culture. But I come from a different, <laughs> a different kind of background. Dude, I come from some wild Pentecostals up in Sabika, man. <laughs> and we were all about experience. Never mind knowledge. Sister Rupp told me, don't you go to seminary, man. You just preach from your heart. Preach from your heart. You don't need to know nothing. <laughs> and, you know, she was right. Brother George Nelson, who has influenced me, I mean, he was a retired guy, never went to school. If I ever had a mentor, it was him. Retired from the mines, he, he uh, I'm talking about the iron range, he was a heavy equipment operator all his life. When I met him, he was like 76. 
At age 73, he just uh, packed up his car, actually a, a pickup truck, filled it up with tracks, headed to Mexico, and he a street evangelist, man. And he was an itinerant evangelist when I met him up in, up in Sabika. And he said, look, the most important, I don't know if it's 18 inches or what, that exists in the universe is the distance. Go ahead, boy, and your heart. And that has. And I know I come across as a pointy head with long words and, and as, a, as an intellectual. <laughs> I'm not an anti-intellectual, let me just say that. I love knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge. And uh, it's meant a great deal to me. But the whole enterprise of the Christian life, the whole, this whole deal is uh, communitas itself. is about experience. It's about experiencing something that uh, many people only talk about. And I don't, want, I don't want you to only talk about communion with the Father. Today we had you actually stand up, come to the table, take hold of these elements, take hold of the elements. These powerful elements of our communion supper which put us in mind of the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood. And I like seeing you go from your seat and from your relaxed position and I like to see you appropriating these gifts of God responding to what's offered and and that's what communion with the father requires so in order to help you understand that I want to make a distinction and that is a distinction let me back up just for a second and you can see between two things two parts of our understanding of what God has done and what we must do you know the Bible says work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God that is at work within you. So at the bottom, it's the work of God. But there is remaining for us an engagement that is directed by the enlivened will that has been touched by an experience of the love of God that would cause us then to move out into communion. Okay? So let's just consider union. Now, this is something that is entirely the work of God. And I'd like to just sit here and dwell on that for the next 30 minutes, but I, I cannot do it. We must rush along, but I'll just drop a question at this point. Do you think about this much at all, if ever? I am one with God. He, by his grace, has made me one with himself. There's something so powerful in just turning on the light bulb. My life in its entirety is hid with God in Christ. I am one with the Creator through Christ my Lord. And, and that only happens by God's grace. And I'm going to show you a couple of verses, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. We can see this whole process. There's only one subject here. 
grammatically, which, seem, which means there's only one actor. There's only one person who's active in this process of making me one with my Lord. You see, it's God. He's rich in mercy. And that mercy even flows from his love. At the bottom of everything that has to do with our redemption is the love of God. And, and that love is great. It's infinite. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. To make it even more plain, another verse, uh, this one, I, I call it, well, countless scholars <laughs> before me have called it the golden chain. And it is a chain that holds from eternity past to eternity future. And it's right there in Romans 8, 28, 30. And again, it's all of and by God and by his grace. We know that all we we know that for those who love God, which is what we're trying to get all of us in, into the experience of doing, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Notice he zooms in and then zooms out. He looks at things with specificity and then more general and then he backs back in. And Ultimately, he's showing us this chain that keeps us secure in Almighty God and in his love. From before the foundation of the world, throughout all of eternity, we've been made one with God. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, to be conformed to the image of his Son. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. This is past tense stuff, which is proleptic, prophetic language. It's a done deal from the divine perspective. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Eternity past, eternity forward, up and into the dimension of the grace of God, made one with the God who made us, and it's all Him. But communion, my friends, is something more, or not more, but slightly different, that must be distinguished from union, because here, we are called upon to act. We are called upon to engage. We are called upon to appropriate what is offered to us and made known to us by the grace of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, who comes with great consolation as that other comforter and places before our, our spiritual eyes a vision of Jesus and all that he has done for us and calls us then to step into that realm in which Jesus rules, the very kingdom of God. So our experience is variable. Our union is not variable. It's a done deal. It's an eternal fact. But our experience from day to day, and I think you'll concur, is not really a done deal so much. It's dynamic. It's subjective, obviously, by definition. And we have ups and downs, and and like we're stressed, and, and sometimes we sort of lose it. We're not immediately conscious of the fact of the eternal love of God which he has commended to us, okay, according to Romans 5, 8, in Christ, God so 
commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that's a great fact, but our hearts don't always resonate with the facts. And it's because we're not really taking the necessary steps to engage in that reality. And again, that's the goal. The Father. Our experience is variable. It depends. It's dependent. There's, there's a contingency. It's like, dude, lay hold of this stuff, you know. Uh, respond to the Father's love. Now, these active measures on our part might take, and I just quickly go over, and I don't have time, cling to the promises of God. Especially the truth of his love. I mean, that's the issue. Pray to the Lord. Respond to him and pray. Cry out for help. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. Spirit, please show me Jesus and his great love. Listen to the Spirit and then obey the promptings of the, of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's the goal. We can, we can get there, but there are certain obstacles. I'm talking about unbiblical thoughts and feelings. Obstacles, obstacles. So again, back in the day when I was in the Army, okay, I was in what they called advanced infantry training. Fort Jackson, South Carolina, Columbia. This is where my sense of vocation in the world began to be developed. My parents came to visit me. We went out for lunch. There was a park across the street, and I saw an old man. He was kind of bent over, and he looked what, like what we used to call, you know, in the 60s, uh, he looked like a hobo, a street dude. He was sort of bent over in the park over there, and he was having a kind of conversation with the pigeons that were gathering around the park bench. And there was something to me so attractive by that guy. My parents say, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I, I pointed out the window and I said, I'm going to be like that guy. <laughs> Which, of course, was a crushing blow <laughs> to, my, to my sweet parents. But I liked the way that that guy had carved out some space for himself. He was in no way uh, responding to the norms and standards of society. <laughs> And I just thought, dude, I just, you know, come on. I, I don't want to get on that, that Ferris wheel, <laughs> which is, of course, you know, all about the man and <laughs> the society or whatever. I just could not find that, that way into uh, some kind of grown-up, like, sense of, but this is for my therapist, not, not for you guys. But you see, unbiblical thoughts and feelings, they emerge quite naturally for, um, in, in just in the course of finish, trying to finish a sentence. And uh, so yesterday, I don't know, I'm hoping that you can see this. I was out in the yard thinking about these things, and I saw that tree. Can you see? That's a blue spruce. It's in my backyard. See how it's bent? Now, we had a huge snowstorm. I think it was in November, if I'm not mistaken. Um, wet snow, whatever, and windy and all those kinds of things. And there's like two feet of snow on top of that thing. And it just, oh, it bent over. I can't carry this load. Obviously, it's not, it's not an indigenous plant in my backyard. Uh, it, it was probably, I think, when we moved into that house, it was about this tall. Uh, that was in 2004. So it's had a, a, great, uh, a great, you know, time growing and all. It seems quite healthy. 
I thought, well, surely when, when, the, when the sun comes out in the spring and whatever, uh, it'll just straighten up on its own. It'll just straighten out. There's an intervention that's necessary uh, in order to get this tree to, I don't know what it is. I'll have to ask God. He would know. But I'm thinking you can retrain that tree. I'm thinking, you know, that's what our life is like. All of us really were bent. We've been buffeted by storms. We've taken on loads that no... Nobody is really designed to bear loads, buffeted storms. I mean, this is, this is life. And sometimes we're bent, and we're bent into a pattern that causes us to be vulnerable um, to some less than biblical thinking. And it's a fight. So I left you down there, and I got, I don't know where I went. I was in advanced infantry training, remember, a minute ago. Uh, I lost that train. But all we did was train every day. This is during the Vietnam War. And every day, like, I mean, from early in the morning, sometimes all night, we were being trained by response to obstacles. We were, we were doing every, every imaginable kind of, uh, obstacle training, you know, over walls, getting each other through barbed wire, helping each other through minefields, all this kind of stuff. Obstacle after obstacle, we trained and trained and trained and trained in these anticipation of what would be warfare, warfare conditions. And, and certainly this is what we're seeing here with the bent tree. We are in a battle. Okay, and, and it actually takes a serious, okay, application of our whole self uh, in responding to the love of God to get that tree to stand up, to look up. I remember my dear mommy, maybe I told you this last week, <laughs> I probably did, all through the years writing me letters if I'm in the army or if I'm far away and we're seemingly alienated or even in our early married life far away from home and her characteristic salutation keep looking up keep looking up this is the purpose of our 50-day devotion get your head up 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 away from the circumstances of your life you may your your your, your bent conditions and and responses and elevate your thinking and put your mind in connection with the revelation of the truth of who God actually is so here are a few of these distortions one of them is, the father is angry, all he really wants to do is to punish us. That's a very popular way of thinking of the father. He's full of vengeful wrath, etc. And that is his constant disposition toward the world, toward you, toward me. But wait, wait, is that consistent with biblical truth? No, 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 because all of the father's wrath. And wrath is real, okay, wrath is real. It is the divine response by necessity. To, to sin, okay, he's holy, and his holiness requires him to respond in wrath, okay, toward sin. But here's the great news, he's done that. He's done that fully and completely in all of his wrath, not part of his wrath. So we don't look for further propitiatory sacrifices, Right? Just a once for all, according to Hebrews, Christ died for us. 
And in that moment, Jesus took on all of our sins. And, uh, and God okay, is satisfied forever, eternally satisfied with the once for all completed sacrificial death of his son. So that takes the punishment thing out of the equation when it comes to his, his children. And I love this verse. He himself, we're talking now about Jesus, is the propitiation that's at the heart of the gospel, that big long word, propitiation, five syllables. And that is, it means simply that it, it is a sacrifice that takes away wrath, the wrath of God. And it absolutely sets aside and absorbs and thus satisfies the necessary response of God, which is wrath in connection with evil. And that's what Jesus has done. So he's not angry. He's not hesitant. He needs to be convinced to love us by the pleadings of Jesus. The and offish, he's aloof. He's like way up in the sky, and he doesn't really care. Well, he will respond to his son when the son makes intercession, okay, for us. He'll listen to Jesus and say, okay, I'll put up with him for your sake. This is one of these distortions of the character of the Father. It's just not true. There's, there is no hesitancy in the Father whatsoever to love his children. Okay, check this out. Now, Jesus is asked about this, and he's already said, I will intercede for you. I, I'm going to pray for you. But then he says, okay, and he makes a boundary around this, this consideration. I'm not, not going to pray that the Father love you. That I don't need to intercede for. There is no need for intercession when it comes for the love of the Father. The Father doesn't wait upon a prayer from me to love you. Why? Because the Father himself loves you. <laughs> that is a powerful statement about the character and the disposition of God in relationship to his children. So he's not hesitant. He is reliably, consistently, forever carrying that disposition of love toward all of his children. That's just who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is. He loves you. The Father loves you. And here's another one, another dangerous distortion, okay? When I'm good, he loves me. But when I screw up, how many of you screwed up recently at all? <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm not alone. When I screw up, I feel, oh, no, God's angry with me. No, he's really How could I ever feel the love of somebody that I have so offended by falling into what some kind of sin, into the power of one of these unbiblical thoughts, feelings, or even actions that I know are not con uh, inconsistent, that, that are consistent with what God really wants. So there's almost a sense that, oh man, unless I keep my act together, he's going to stop loving me. And in fact, until I take communion, have confession, come and talk to Bob. I need to talk to Bob.
and then the Father, then the Father will love me. Then the Father will love me again. Well, you know, there is actually some power in that whole thing about confessing one to another to restore us into a, a, an awareness of, of, uh, of, of the Father's love. You have been forgiven. It's a great gift we can give to one another in the body of Christ. Confess your faults one to another, that you may be healed, that you may be made whole. So when I say they come talking Bob or whatever, <laughs> talk to each other in the context of Christ Christian community and get real. If you don't have somebody in your life where you can get real, sorry, man. It's going to be harder to experience communion with the Father in those conditions, not easier. We want, we want to do Christian life as a solo, a solo act. But just, we're not designed like that. We're designed to be in community, even as God himself lives eternally in community as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. We're created in his image. No wonder he has created such a beautiful thing as the body of Christ, the church. So, when I, when I mess up, he stops loving me. But here's what he says. This is what the Father says. I'm never going to stop loving you. My love is free. My love is full. My love is unconditional. And here's, here's, here's the real clincher in connection with this particular distortion. My love is forever. You know, I like thinking about this. There's nothing I can do right now. There's nothing I can do, even if I preached a good sermon or went home and, you know, put my feet up and watched some golf or whatever, took a nap, whatever, whatever I do. I can't make God love me any more than he loves me, and neither can you. And there's nothing that I can do if I screw up, if I, like, fall off the wagon, if I eat carbs, all those awful things. Did you notice? I've, I've actually dropped about 22 pounds. Can you tell? I got my belt, man, all the way. I got to get a smaller belt, dude. <laughs> Seriously. I can't keep my pants. I'm feeling like a fool with my pants on the ground. <laughs> but it's pretty cool. So, yeah, and it's all about no carbs. But anyway, whatever I do, this is always true. This is always true. It's not dependent upon me or any of my actions. It's always true. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's who he is. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Dude, that is in the perfect tense in the Hebrew for you scholars and grammarians. I mean, this is forever. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. And that is a promise. I have continued, will continue. I mean, seriously, this is God telling us, and he has, he has the authority to do this. He, he's going to tell us who he is. Amen. Okay. And so, I, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling, I'm feeling loved a little bit by God right now in the light of this kind of stuff. But we have an enemy, see? We not only have these vulnerabilities based on all of these burdens, buffeted by storms, trials, temptations, failures, whatever that caused this blue spruce to be bent over. But we have an enemy out there that looks for those vulnerabilities and tries to exploit them by causing you to think these toxic thoughts about God and about 
yourself in your relationship with God. And so, I mean, we have to be alert. It's like training for that warfare, doing those obstacle courses, being engaged and preparing for the battleground. And we need to resist. We need to resist. I mean, it's a fight, man. You have to reject those things. Because uh, he ain't up to no good. He doesn't like, the, here's the thing that he hates. I'm talking about the enemy of your soul. He hates it when your soul rejoices. <laughs> he hates it when you actually come into an experience such as is described by David in Psalm 23, where he sets the table before me, my cup runneth over. I am forever and ever dwelling in the presence of God, filled with joy. And my enemy's out there, but it don't bother me at all. I'm doing all this in the presence of my enemy. And he can say, do whatever he wants, to attack, to destroy, but that ain't going to harm me because I am in Christ, the beloved, forever and ever. So I don't buy his stuff. So now we have these obstacles and so forth. We know what the goal is. So what's the path into this experience of communion with the Father? And I'm talking about experience. Where the soul resonates joyfully, where the joy of your salvation is absolutely restored, and you're 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 more alive in communion with 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 the Father, and that is the experiential dimension of knowing by experience, epigenosis in the Greek, a knowledge that comes by experience, which is deeper and better than any knowledge, other kind of knowledge, that may simply sit up here in the head. An awareness of his love that causes us then to respond. You know, the Holy Spirit is living within us, okay? And he's proffering consolation. That is, he, he puts the consolations of God and, 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 and the wounds of Jesus and the promises of the Word and the love of the Father and all of these things are being communicated to us in the deep <laughs> recesses of our spirit. But we're not used to listening to the spirit, attending to the spirit's voice as he comes to reveal Christ in all of his fullness to lift us into a new kind of experience, communion with the Father. So we must, and here are just some simple strategies Things and ways which I already sort of quickly resumed, or uh, uh, what did I do? I reviewed <laughs> quickly earlier. But this is the part. We're, in, we're on a battlefield. We must resist the devil. We must overcome the obstacles. This is what we've been trained to do. That's what, we have to get into that training. We have to get in uh, to that uh, constant thing in which we're fighting against these distorted thoughts and, and beliefs. And then ultimately, we need to respond because it's all about response. It's all about response. This is how we love the Father. Response to the love supreme in Christ. See, it's response. Beneath our love is His love. And it's only really as we come into the experience of that love that we are enabled and empowered to love Him back. We have to believe just a few things. We have to believe in his love. 
I mean, the Bible is filled with these, with these confirming indicators and, and beautiful promises and explanations and descriptions. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, notice, in love. Love is at the bottom of the redemptive exertions of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bringing salvation into the world. It's about love. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So believe in that love. This is what the Father thinks of you. He loves you. This is how he feels about you. He loves you. Delight in his love. And I love the old King James word that's used at the beginning of this verse. Behold. Behold, I love that. We don't see it in modern translations, and of course it's an obsolete word. But it's like, check it out. I mean, I want you to sit there, lift your head, take in. I mean, be cognizant, okay? Foster an awareness, check it out. Wow, I mean, it's awesome. It's like what you say to your friend, and here's the northern lights or whatever. <laughs> and it's a beautiful night. Behold the skies and the beauty of the things that God has created. I want you to enter into an awareness of these things. So I'm going to say, delight in this. Let's enjoy this. See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God. And man, if you can't take delight in that, there's something, something well, I don't want to suggest that you can't, because you can. It's the most delightful of all things. To walk in this world, this dark and scarred and bent over world with a confidence that, I mean, it goes down to your toes. Even my toes, which I can barely feel anymore, but they're there. I can wiggle them. They're there. Down to your toes. Oh man, to have an assurance and a certainty Somebody said, what are you? What are you? What are you? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. That is the truest thing I can think or say about myself. That's just where it's at. That's where it all lands. I'm a child of the Father. Dude, I take immense delight in that, and I encourage you to do that. This will change your heart. It will change your rest in these things. Holy Spirit, when you think about this, is at work, constantly doing. I mean, the love of God is being poured out by the Holy Spirit into our spirits. And the Holy Spirit is also not just pouring out the subjective experience of love or the possibility there for those who receive it, but he's also testifying. He's testifying. And this is a subjective experience, friends. This is the voice of the Spirit. He speaks to us of the Father's love. Just like, I mean, Song of Solomon's kind of stuff. The lover speaks tenderly to the beloved and speaks eloquently of his, of her excellencies and beauty and gives assurance constantly of the love that is so very much driving the heart uh, in that relationship. So the Spirit testifies. 
on this deep level of our spirit, okay? And once again, what's being impressed upon us is that we are the children of God. So I'm saying rest in that. Rest in that, my dear friends. And then express your love to the Father. And this is the last little section. This is another way that can be neglected uh, in our Christian life. I mean, maximizing experience, okay, uh, facilitating the experience of God's unconquerable love, his infinite and unconditional love for me and for you. We can respond also by expressing our love for him. So how do we do that? Well, we worship him. God, you are my God. I and forever I will adore you, forever I will worship you, forever I will serve you, forever I will love you. Thank you for loving me. We worship him privately and corporately. He is the highest object of our affection above all else in this world, above even our own lives, is our commitment, I guess, our uh, to the to the love of God, to the being of God, to the person of the Father. And so we worship him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We obey him. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, once we begin to be attentive to what he is saying, he may give us guidance, and he does, about relationships, real-life situations. Oh God, how should I respond in this situation? What do I do? I need your wisdom what have you. There's no better way of bringing to fruition, as it were, the love that I feel for the Father. And it's a natural thing, man. It's a natural thing. It's not like out of uh, uh, duty. It's not out of duty. It's like, imagine yourself, you're on a walk with the old man, your, your father, <laughs> who loves you, and you love him. And as you walk along joyfully exchanging your experience in the world, the Father says, hey, pick that up, will you? Well, of course you're going to do that. <laughs> I ain't picking it up. You go pick it up. I mean, what kind of? No, no, that's, that's in an alienated kind of relationship. It is the delight of the children of God to comply with his wishes and to, and to en enhance his joy. I mean, seriously, when we're talking about God as the object of our love, we're talking about the pleasure that we get in responding in delight to his commands and enhancing our sense of pleasure in that relationship by pleasing not just ourselves, but him. And that is, ironically, the most pleasure of all. <laughs> it's the most pleasurable thing that you can ever imagine doing or experiencing I can speak authoritatively about these things after lo these many years. And believe me, I've experienced many pleasurable things. Oh, but there's nothing as pleasurable to me as causing my Father, Heavenly Father's heart to delight. <laughs> what a circle of joy, of pleasure, and all. It's not a duty. It's not a, his, as he said, my yoke is light. My burden is easy. Come on, walk with me, man. Let's do this. Let's do this thing called life together forever and ever. And it's a joy. And it's a wonderful fulfillment. And it's delightful. Not 
dutiful. And that's all I got to say. <laughs> I don't know, did we get there? Remember, you remember what I said where I wanted us to land? I wanted you to feel loved by God, and I wanted you to respond. I want you to enter into that community. I'm kind of feeling it. How about you? <laughs> All right. Come on. Let's, let's sing about that. Let's enjoy that for a minute together. The brothers are going to sing some songs here. Or just one, actually. This is like a throwback to the 60s, isn't it, with these brothers? It feels like the folk revival a little bit here. I mean, I'm serious. I'm not putting that down. That's my thing. That's my jam. I forgot my bell bottoms. I was going to mention that. I forgot to show up to the 60s. <laughs> okay. God bless you all. We'll see you. Mike's got this next week. We'll forgive you for that. It sounds like it had been a good time hanging out with you all. <laughs>